This is Deepa Narayan, social science researcher and host of What's a Man podcast. My goal in doing this podcast is simple: to open up the conversation about men and masculinity in a non-judgmental way, with compassion and deep listening. I've avoided many terms during this podcast, and one of them is feminism. Feminism is such an abused. misused much aligned words that even women use with caution it's become a term you fling on women in anger when you want to dismiss what they say any time a woman breaks a good woman rule or a man deviates from a man box and supports a woman they cast out as going too far too extreme too much too loud misguided and accused of being a feminist Paradoxically, of the 250 men we interviewed, even though they all believed in gender equality, only a few men embraced feminism with joy and relief. They're men who identified themselves as queer, gay, or gender fluid. And men like Abish Matthew or men like Manak Matiani and Nikhil Tanejer who work with young men and see daily the harm and suffering caused by the man box rules in this episode i turn to the idea of feminism what does it mean and what does it mean for men and is it possible or even desirable to raise feminist boys can feminism liberate men from the poisons of toxic masculinity men locked in boxes in this episode i turn to sonora cha author of how to raise a feminist son What's a man masculinity podcast in India by Deepa Narayan Our partners are Hubhopper the gender lab who work with adolescent boys and girls on gender awareness chup circles safe spaces for conversation and youth ki awaaz the largest online platform for youth voices this podcast is supported by the american center new delhi the opinions presented in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the american center or the us government my guest today is dr sonora cha she's a journalist writer a commentator and professor at Seattle University in the US. She grew up and worked in India as a journalist. She leads writing retreats and is the author of the wonderful wonderful bestseller book How to Raise a Feminist Son. A book that's a memoir, it's touching and hilarious and it inspires you to want to be a better person, a better parent, a better human being. Sonora welcome. I'm so thrilled that you can join us today. Thank you Deepa and thank you for that lovely little review of my book. It's so nice to know that. <laughs> It's great. So in your beautiful beautiful book you write about how you raised your son Gibran to be a feminist. How did you get started? This idea this project. Yeah, um so you know the there's the project of raising a feminist son and there's the project of writing about it right so yeah. you know my life's uh, work i think you know in terms of 
if you define my life itself, it was mm -hmm. how to raise a feminist son. That is basically the founding principle of my life, even though I wasn't using the term feminist son or you know, thinking, oh my goodness, I'm raising a feminist son. So when I thought of writing a memoir, it was going to be a mother-son memoir. And I was working on a mother-son story and writing different pieces of it. And, um, and I would keep putting it aside because I wasn't quite like happening on the thread that would tie the whole thing together. So I'd keep setting it aside and I would write these political and personal essays uh, that were responding to things happening in the world around us, right? Mm -hmm. Donald Trump, Me Too, Black Lives Matter, you know, across race and gender and, you know, citing from my own research, but also more and more with my own personal stories that were connected right. with the research. So that used to get a lot of response. It would go viral, people would share, people would say, we need to talk about these things. And I would have these snatches of conversations with my son in these essays and people would really respond to that. And I realized, oh gosh, there's a need in society yeah. to talk about these things. Absolutely. There's a need in me. There seems yeah. to be a need in me to tell these stories, you know? So those sort of came together. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but not every woman who becomes a mother or every person who becomes a mother sets out with such an ambitious goal or even thinks, thinks about raising a son in a particular way. Or when did you become aware? Or was it, as you said, always just a part of you? It wasn't always a part of me. Part of it was conscious and then it became a part of me as I went along. So the, the part of it that, um, that propelled everything and set me on this idea of raising a feminist son was when, when I realized I was going to have a son, you know, when my mm. the ultrasound. Yeah. <laughs> and I burst into tears because I had grown up in a violent home with, uh, with really bad role models of men, my father and my brother, both of them violent men, a lot of violent misogyny in India. Um, Did you up. personally experience yes. abuse or violence in the family? Yes, I did. My father was violent on me. My brother was violent uh, toward me as well. And of course, uh, my father was a wife beater. And, you know, we've talked about these things and he knows I'm also writing about it in the book that I have written about it in the book. And my brother learned that violence from him. And I would see sort of like this, uh, what we now have understood to be Brahmanical patriarchy, you know, mm -hmm. this uh, oppression of other people as well with this patriarch and a Brahmin upper caste man as the authority figure, yeah. you know. And those things used to really bother me. And of course, you know, uh, but I didn't know of anything else. I didn't know that this it could be different, that men right. could be different. And so when I realized I was having a boy, it was to me this horrific, uh, you know, in the pit of my stomach, I just felt this fear that I may end up raising someone like that, that mm -hmm. it's inevitable that my boy would be this, you know, violent, uh, dismissive, stoic, um, you know, horrific human being. And, you know, sure, there would be love and everything, but that's somehow he would turn on me as well. Right. And so right. then I realized I have to try and find those principles of feminism. I was just as a young woman and as a yeah. journalist, I was really taken with feminism and I felt let me see, this has to be good for a boy as well, and it'll be good for me. So it was almost like a survival. A double, double whammy. If it works well, it works well for both. Before I ask you questions on that, how, did, how does your father feel that 
you've, you're writing about him and talking about how you were beaten up and how your mother was beaten up. You know, it's unimaginable, the response that he's had now. It's so dissonant from uh, and disconnected from the man that he used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, he recently, you know, he asked me, so when is your book coming out in India? And I said, well, April 16th. And he said, well, because I want to go and buy a whole lot of copies and I want to take a photograph of it um, and post it on my social media. And I said, dad, I've told you that there's, you know, this chapter about your violence. I don't know if you're going to like the book. And he said, you know, I'm going to be proud of the book no matter what. And the violence is a fact. I was a violent man and, you know, and he's apologized over the years and said, I still want to buy the book and I'm, I'm still proud of you. It's fine that you wrote about it. Now, this is inconceivable right. to me. And I had yeah. this exchange on social media and it got so much response because it was inconceivable to a lot of people. Right. And it started this conversation about forgiveness, apology, and, and how do we create keep boundaries while forgiving someone? So he definitely knows of that. He's apologized to me. He's tried to apologize to my mother. And of course, it's everyone has different ways of accepting or not accepting apologies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't mean that he's a transformed man. He's still a right. flawed man, but right. it's a to me. Have you accepted his apology? I have, yeah, I have. Um, I have accepted it, but also drawn some boundaries, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it, it allows me to accept the good parts of that father, that the father who actually wanted his daughters to be feminist right. also had a lot of feminist values in him and then was also fragile in this in these ways you know right. Right. Uh, and i also want him as a grandfather for my son and so we navigate all of that my, my son and i both know his shortcomings and we navigate that and we keep the boundaries but we also try and build the love mm-hmm. what a beautiful answer can you speak a little bit about what when you say keep boundaries with him, what does that mean? It means, um, you know, that I will not tolerate it if he's making jokes about women around me, nasty jokes, you know, making fun of women's bodies, or if he's falling into some of the old patterns, like, you know, recently he even said that, uh, oh, you know, speaking about my son, that, oh, he's a little bit girlish because, you know, he doesn't do all the typical man things. He just reads in a corner of the room. And I said, wow, reading in the corner of a, of a room is girlish. I didn't know that, you know, yeah. and so I'll, I'll just say, like, I'm not going to have this conversation with you or you need to grow up or you need to read a little more or you need to come around and not uh, take the bait and end these conversations. And also, you know, show my disapproval, show that, look, you don't get to have uh, these moments of joy if you're going to keep injuring us or keep like doing these little pokes and things like that and so he you know caused right. that that's a beautiful example sonora so basically what you're saying is that uh, he's part of your life and you have to be constantly vigilant so that your boundaries your values are not violated and you are not violated whether or, and your son is not violated whether it's by being putting him down or you down or women in general down yeah exactly it's a wonderful example since you talked about your father uh, having feminist values or behaviors what does feminism mean it's such a loaded word and so misunderstood what does feminism mean to you 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I've been thinking more and more about that because it's not just an instinct, you know, I have to now explain myself, right? So um, feminism to me is really, I think Gloria Steinem has come up with the best um, answer to that, which is feminism is the radical belief that a woman is a person that women are people too, right? Um, But then also with Kimberly Crenshaw, and of course, before that, Audre Lorde, women of color, black women, talking about intersectionality, right? And in in India, we've heard from Dalit women and how uh, Brahmanical patriarchy has has rained blows on them and the rapes and everything, recognizing that feminism has to be this expansive value system and political ideology Mm -hmm. and just a set of uh, rules to live by or even an emotion to live by in which you have to uh, want the full humanity of all human beings across gender, ability, race, etc. Uh, and within that recognize that women have been left behind and that we must have everyone work to um, dismantle some of the structures that have deliberately kept women behind. So recognizing it and dismantling it and working toward that. Right. So let me ask you the question that I think is in people's, in a lot of men's lives and a lot of parents' lives. Why impose feminism on a little boy? What is in it for him? That's a great question. And I, in one of the chapters, I think I, I teased that out as well, right? Because yeah. of me, I was like, am I going to disadvantage him? Right. In some way, you know, yeah. am, I, am I doing some wrong to him, right? Because I love, <laughs> I love the baby, but I didn't, want to, I didn't want to have him be set back or left behind in some way while I'm empowering women in the world. And, you know, so um, the research has found that men actually are healthier and live longer lives mm-hmm. if they embrace feminism or they embrace the or they walk away from toxic masculinity right so they have uh, fewer accidents alcoholism uh, they have better mental health they're able to reach out to their friends and talk to them they're able to connect more with families yeah. not have to disconnect and abandon uh, any um emotional connections, et cetera. All of that actually leads to better health benefits for men. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also found that, you know, just telling my son that he can cry, that we are not going to go by the boys don't cry, walk it off, man up, you know, all those things that boys are right. told has made him this I, I see that now he just turned 26 and I see that he's got kind gentle uh, friends you know male friends whom he can call when he's upset he can pick up the phone and call them and talk to them about being sad and I think that alone is the best gift that this walking away from toxic masculinity recognizing that feminism is also freeing for him because it allows him uh, to embrace those aspects of masculinity. We could actually end the interview right there. <laughs> You've explained it so beautifully. But as a as a mother, as a woman who's busy, you know, pulling a life together, earning money, having professional obligations, moving cultures, moving locations, getting a PhD and raising a child, a son, with a determination to do it differently than uh, you saw your brother probably or the way your father was raised. Can you talk about some of the anxieties, incidents, how you raised him and interact with him change over time? Because obviously the way you deal with a four-year-old is very different when he's a teenager or an 18-year-old. 
That's a lot of questions thrown at you. <laughs> it's fine. But, you know, I, you know, part of it, when I think about it, it's just because I had a value system of feminism and felt like, okay, this is going to be the way I raise my son. I'm going to bring this feminist love way of loving to my boy's life. Um, it became... Okay, can you explain that? What is that? Okay, so a feminist way of loving is really the same thing. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to tell him, be really tough on him and tell him to be a boy. I'm going to bring um, non-gendered uh, ways of, you know, uh, talking about games and toys and, you know, everything is going to be in that world which lets him be tender-hearted, which lets him be soft, which pushes him to examine things more, right? So whether it's in terms of stories and nursery rhymes, etc., giving him that way of being loving toward other human beings and recognizing mm -hmm. that women have been left behind, right? Um, to me, that is a feminist way of loving him, you know? Right. Um, right. So we would go for movies and things like that. So I, for me, it really was a fun exercise. And yes, you're right, you know, I was doing all these things. So I must say that I definitely brought in what I called a feminist village. I recruited friends and, you know, friends who had similar values, yeah. uh, even in something as, as uh, charged and problematic as the Boy Scouts of America. And I write about that, 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 you know, we found some good men and I wanted those influences in his life. I would sort of draw these people draw the books the movies and all of that and mostly just through conversations you know right. so we were, there were things were falling apart a lot in our <laughs> there was no like roses as I have now in my life I have roses and all of that my home didn't look as you know, it never does when you have young kids <laughs> right, exactly. so it was more like even through the the problematic you know even right. so if I would be crying for instance and he asked me like you know around the age of 14 or 15 and I said like I'm just struggling with some things that are coming up around sexual assault and I would even talk to him about that now that sounds really heavy and it was mm -hmm. but even it was important for me that as he grew into a man that he understand things like sexual assault and consent and how it plays out in dating and how it plays out because a lot of young boys and men say that they're clueless about these things right. and that they don't know whether to believe women you know right so if he, if he believes his mother he's more likely to believe other women as well so so it was more really just ringing in conversations keeping that lens and that focus uh, alive that you know yeah i love the image of you rushing off to movies and when he was really young having him sit on your lap and uh, then talking about about it later any do you remember any of these stories yes absolutely so i the first movie we watched together was babe you know about the pig uh yeah. and uh, the, the farm animals and yeah. you know even just i think what was happening at the movies was it was giving him a sense of empathy you know yeah. giving and talking about okay this is really problematic like the jungle book you know that car the snake is the only female or woman character or girl character in the book and she was uh she was a mean character you know and uh manipulative and you know all of that and i said i don't understand like you have the one girl and she's such a mean girl and she's such a bad person you know so sort of like just putting these little ideas in his head to just kind of examine what was going on and then as he grew older he became much more savvy about these things and would tell me oh have you heard of this thing called fridging 
and not having central women characters who take charge and have agency and the story is driven by them and their actions. So all those things became like things for us to laugh about. Yeah. Oh, how ridiculous, you yeah. know? So it just, it just kept changing as he grew older. Right, but right, it was, right. it was this thing to enjoy and talk about. Right. I love this examples because, you know, when you think of raising your son to be a feminist, it sounds so heavy and such a burden. But thinking about movies, I think every Indian loves movies and going to the movies and making that a fun part of it. And did he finally overtake you and see spot sexism where you didn't? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He did. He did. He, I mean, they were great examples to even with watching television, you know, he yeah. talked about the show Community and he said, oh, you must watch the scene in which this girl is deliberately like trying to be the sex sexy little kitten and everything. And he says, you know, it made me realize what pressures there are on women to look sexy and to be sexy, but not too, you know, too sexy. Yeah, I think now he's, and I, I ask him, hey, have you seen anything great lately? And he gives me more of a sense of like, you know, what's going on and what I should enjoy and yeah. what I might enjoy in the feminist world. One of the things you talk about in the book is that how you noticed when his friends would come over, I think when he was 13, he would hide his books. How did you train him or how did, what worked in helping him become stronger in his values so he could show up in the way he could, you know, show up in terms of uh, not succumb to peer pressure? Mm -hmm. I mean, I have to say that in that particular case, he definitely kept those friends, but I also uh, tried to find a school where they liked to encourage reading and they liked to encourage these kinds of kids. And I didn't want him to have to like push him yeah. to belong, you know, you know, be super athletic yeah. or be that kid that has the masculine swagger. So just, you know, had to give him more alternatives and mm -hmm. say, you can still enjoy all those things, but you you also like, you know, it's great that you love to read. So let's have more friends that love to read and where you don't feel like you have to hide it. No. Right, right. One of the things you talk about in the in the book is how you use media, right, to uh, as a huge part of his consciousness and your consciousness and bringing that together as an interaction. Yet most parents are very concerned about the negative impact of media and try to control what children watch. What advice do you have for parents? There's no controlling. There's no controlling. There's yeah. no way of knowing what your what media your child is exposed to. Yes, of course, when they're very young, you know, we yeah. keep some control of it. But these days, you know, kids are on iPads and on phones and things like that very early. And as they grow older, they could be in a chat room. They could be on a video game playing with someone from, you know, you don't know who those people are that they're playing yeah. with. And, you know, they could be working on homework online, but they could be on 4chan or 8chan on a subreddit group talking about so-and-so. And you will never know. So it's not like watching your child at the playground, right? Where you know, okay, so they were playing with this kid or that. Right. Now the whole world is open the to The world them. has changed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the playground has changed. <laughs> the playground has changed, exactly. Yeah. The playground is a chat room now, you exactly. know? Exactly. So I think... It's a, it's a lost battle if you think that you're going to tell stop them or, you know, so the only way to give them, um, you know, some sense of uh, discernment mm -hmm. is to talk to them and say, well, you know, 
this sounds horrific to me. This, this person sounds really misogynistic and sexist. And once you have those values, they're not going to enjoy being around those kinds of people. So I've talked to some video game uh, professionals, women and feminists, right. yeah. video gaming, and they talk about how, uh, you know, there's a lot of misogyny in video games and in that culture. Absolutely. And yeah. And then they said, but that's also a place where men can use their platform as they're playing, just say, hey, dude, cut it out. Don't do that. Let her play as well. Or, you know, sort of be mm -hmm. allies. And they like that. They say that there are a lot of uh, people who do that kind of thing. And it is because it is sort of like fertile ground for misogyny. It is also yeah. fertile ground to end misogyny because uh, younger men are coming in and saying, hey, cut it out. We don't like this. We don't want you to be sexist and stop that. Cut it out, you know? Mm -hmm. So that, that's a really heartening thing. Right. I mean, it sounds wonderful when he was young, I would say under 18. What do you think helped him withstand the pressure, the onslaught of culture, which pushes you in the other direction, especially after puberty? Mm -hmm. So this is where I have to admit that for in a middle school, for a couple of years, he was a conservative. And he was always really in, uh, interested in politics, but he was a conservative, almost like a right wing, you know, he would spout these right wing things, his, his voice had not broken. So it was like this little child spouting these right, right wing uh, American ideas. And, you know, I, I didn't push against that. I kind of, I was terrified. I was thinking like, oh my God, have I pushed this too far where he's right. this backlash, you know? But um, but I found that he, uh, he quickly, you know, or, well, over a period of two or three years, he moved from being a conservative to being a libertarian. Now he's a total socialist and he works, uh, you know, for socialism. Again, I think it he found the right peers, but yeah. also, these days, kids are definitely growing up with a lot of anxiety, a lot of mental health issues, right? Yeah, he, absolutely. Yeah, he went through his own as well. The difference, I think, what made a difference was that because I had not given him these values of, oh, you know, you have to be a man, or, you know, I'd kind, kind of like un, uh, undercut those values. And people would say things like that. I would do damage control and say, you know what, we don't have to subscribe to that stuff and yeah. you can whatever and you know if you need therapy and so he's been able to get therapy he's been able to reach out to you know when he, if he's gone through a rough time or anxiety he's been able to reach out to a mental health professional and talk to them so I think so it's not like he hasn't faced those challenges it's that he and his friends have better coping skills or have a variety of coping skills and tools uh, at their uh, disposal you know right. which, which are not right. allowed in traditional yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful because it's both coping skills and it's also sharpened intellect, yeah. as I hear you talk. And also that you, as you may have your viewpoint, but you then also gave him space and didn't make him wrong. Right. Right. You didn't crowd him and this is the only way to be. So then he would do things behind your back. Right. Yeah. And again, to say he's not perfect. We have. Oh, I don't, I'm sure he is not. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> we had a conversation today, and I remember saying to him, like, my goodness, like, you know, 
uh, isn't that mansplaining? Isn't that, you know, are we being a little bit misogynistic? Are you sure that's how you want to put it? And, you know, so he'll kind of smile every time and he'll say, you know what, this time I'm just going to say it this okay. way. I think right. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I mean, there's still work to be done, but, um, but yeah, I definitely didn't want a backlash. I didn't want him to go the other extreme and say, you know, run away from this, you know, feminazi, whatever. So, and now he laughs at those people who say, say stupid things like feminazi and stuff, you know, because he, he doesn't, yeah, he yes. doesn't. I want to come back to that. Well, since you're talking about feminazi, why do you think there are so many men who are afraid of feminism? Men and women, right? We find, and women, true, yeah, true, a, absolutely true. So many uh, women. Let's uh, talk about men first, and then women. Okay. Well, I I think that it's a trap, right? If they've been, you know, there's the sense of losing something. It's the same way that you know white people may be afraid of people of color in high positions and things, right? Because they feel like, you know, you as those men were that. Um, were marching, you know, and saying, you will not replace us or Jews will not replace us and that kind of angry racist rhetoric. Um, I think they think that it's the thing of being replaced or becoming irre irrelevant. But what they don't realize is that what is becoming replaced and irrelevant is the one way that they know of being a man or being a white person or whiteness or maleness or, or masculinity, right? If you only stuck to that and you think that that was the only way of being a ma man or being masculine, then of course you're going to find feminism as a stretch to that. Absolutely. But also, uh, one of the reasons they hate is, is because of misogyny. If you don't love and value and respect women, anything that is pointing out that, well, things are unequal and we need to change systems so that women have equal rights is going to be abhorrent to you because you basically hate women. You know, and so we still know that, like we know that there, we, we haven't arrived at an uncondi unconditional love for women, whether it's from men or women. Um, and that's going to feel like um, a threat or uh, just like a yeah. disgusting idea. Yeah. Do you think it's possible? How would you how would you advocate going about this change for helping men broaden their understanding of masculinity is basically what you're saying? Yeah. Well, one thing is raise a feminist son, right? By yes, absolutely. <laughs> Uh, I, because I truly believe I'm seeing differences, you know, as an, even as an educator, I've seen, um, you know, at least one generation. So I've been a professor for what, 17 years and I've seen the change and it's so heartening to see young men today, you know, not vie for the leadership position, be able to, uh, you know, uh, like I, I advise the campus newspaper and I see the young men there and they are so good at listening to their women executive editors and editor-in-chief and and not feel like this is a threat to their masculinity and like really listen and take orders and and when they don't the women are holding them accountable you know and they're required to apologize and women are are having a solidarity so we're seeing that men are not going to be allowed to go away without consequence now there is a consequence culture which people call cancel culture i really think it's a consequence culture yeah. and once this consequence culture is in place men are going to have to scramble and figure it out you know and i've seen them do that i've seen um, men at the workplace in academia say i need to read up about this because i don't even know where i screwed up you know mm -hmm. so those are the well-meaning people and i think they are catching up 
And the way we bring them along is not to say, you know, F you like, you know, but to say to the, to the extent that we have the energy, it's not on us, right? It is right. they need to figure out, they need to figure it out, but we can nudge them and say, you know, here's a book to read. Here's the time that I felt bad. Here's why you need to apologize to me to really draw that boundary. And because we haven't expected it, you know, we don't expect men to have consequences. We don't expect an apology. I've seen that with myself. Very often, I don't expect an apology because I feel like, oh, you know, he's a man, he's not going to give it. And I have to correct myself and say, no, I have to ask for it, whether he gives it or not. That's so funny you talk about that because I, I had to do this with my husband partner today. He yeah. really messed up on an Amazon order and gave me the long, wrong address. And I had ordered seven things because I'm going to see my daughter and it went to the wrong address. Oh, no. And so Amazon is sending me message after message. This is can't be delivered. And I was really upset. And uh, he said a sorry. And then I realized I'm still upset. So I said, you know, you need to really apologize for this. And he sat down and when he really did, it was over. But it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't said, you know, this is not done. You don't realize the consequences of this. And once he apologized and realized that there were big consequences, he apologized, felt sorry, and it was done. It's not affecting the rest of my day or how I speak to him or how I love him. So it's really important, this business of apology and learning how to do a good apology. It's such a beautiful thing that you're saying, because I'm sure that he also felt a sense of relief yep. at apologizing, not to have to hold that and say, no, I don't owe you. You know, I've talked to men who say that when they apologize, they just feel a sense of relief. So exactly. Yeah, it's such a it's, yeah, it's a big sense of relief. And I think it's also, I often have to apologize for something that I've done. It teaches you not to do that again. It, makes you more conscious and aware that your actions have a consequence on someone else. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the, that's really the important part of it. Yeah. So, and the trap is that men are told that they should always be right, that they cannot make a exactly they need to lead, they need to know, you know, and, and that's why they are hesitant to apologize because it's admitting that they went wrong. Exactly. And if you tell them it's okay to be wrong, it's okay to make a mistake, it's okay to fail and to, to fall, then uh, that, you know, I got you, it's okay, right? Right. When, right. Once we have that and we say, like, you know, it's fine then they recognize that, okay, I, I guess I have this available to me as well. I have the, exactly. the opportunity to apologize. It know? increases tools in their toolkit and they become more human because we found this in this research that we've been doing and in the podcast that we've been doing, this is an issue that's come up so many times that uh, this pressure to always know yeah. and always be right is such a deadly trap. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I want to talk about sex mm -hmm. and sexuality. That's always a juicy topic. You have a boy. How did you deal with a changing body? And how did you deal, approach the issue of sexuality? So he grew up in a, with a healthy sense of sexuality for himself as well as for women and whatever, any people of any gender. 
Yeah, I, you know, I should admit that I started it very late and I don't know whether I did it the best way that, you know, there are better ways of doing it now that I talk yeah. about in my book, but um, I was raised in India where yeah. there's such a culture of shame and silence around sexuality right. and sex, you know, so I, uh, I remember the first time that he at a swimming pool, a little girl ran out of the uh, locker room uh, without her, uh, her underwear or swimsuit on and he screamed, you know, is that a vagina? And I said, shh, we don't say anything, you know, <laughs> just saying yes, you know, that is, you, yes. know, uh, you know, just describing the genitalia and saying right. yes very smart of you and you know um I just made it like about shame and silence and he was also confused like why why can't I know right um but later when he talked about these conversations happen in cars while driving and stuff he asked me when is it uh, when are girls ready to have sex and I was ready at that time you know I was like okay you need to get consent you need to figure out that there might be pressures on a young girl that you know much more pressure on her to be sexual earlier than she may be ready and so I was able to talk to him and say you know and he listened and I said you know don't just just be sure that you're not pressuring someone and that you know you are able to be friends with her and talk to her and ask for consent and you know, and beyond, and he listened very carefully because he was very curious about that, you know. Mm -hmm. And then after that, we would talk, you know, because we would watch, again, we would watch TV shows together. So, many, so much in the movies and right. TV. Yeah. yeah. And he was very free. Sometimes he would ask me questions that would just feel like out of the blue, like, oh, my goodness, do I have to talk about this? Go, you know, ask your father who, you know, lives right. in the country. So he would have to wait a few hours before being able to call him. So I really... Um, I encourage just like an open conversation, you know, that we were open. And then, you know, he didn't need me after that, right? Like once he realized that. And so even he was able to recognize also how his generation was growing up on pornography and that pornography is exploitative to women, you know? So once you start the conversation and you know that the conversation is open and you just say that, you know, there yeah. has to be no shame about it, if then, right. then it just happens very seamlessly and you don't right. have to do talk or anything right. you know yeah okay. that's also so important because once there's openness kids feel free to come to you rather than to other sources only to get right. information that's sort of hidden or they're not supposed to know that's as you said loaded so that that was a wonderful example you gave about catching your own cultural uh, upbringing, right? You know, you can't say the word vagina uh, aloud. I, I love, I love the example because we are cultural creatures, mm -hmm. and if we're not conscious, our culture will come up. And I think that's why awareness and uh, apologies, awareness and apologies go together. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever had to apologize to your son? Yes, I have apologized to him. Um, there were two times in his childhood when I raised my hand on him. Once when he was five years old, I was just snapped and I, you know, slapped him. And another time when he was about nine years old. And I was so deeply troubled by that, um, especially because I came from a violent home and I had born never to uh, fall into that. And you know, so I, I apologized for that. Um, 
and he said oh what about the other times when you would like you know like give me a little whack on the head and blah 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 I was like okay just you just make me a list and he said that's okay like you know <laughs> and one of the times he couldn't remember so that was nice but um I've apologized to him for that I've apologized for to him for other things where he said no apology was necessary where I said you know that I I just want you to know that I thought I was doing the best for you in um, and, and for you and for me in, you know, the, dragging you through two divorces, you know, the two divorces and then the uneven life taking you away, raising you away from the larger extended family. And he said, you know, you really were doing the best and whatever you did, it's fine because I like the way I've turned out. <laughs> and, uh, oh, lovely. That was really nice. But it was for me, it was important to acknowledge that, you know, the, he missed out on certain things in his childhood. Yeah. And I have regrets around that. And I, I want I needed to apologize to him. And I've even told him that if I if he thinks I need to apologize for, for something, he should hold me responsible. Again, a wonderful, wonderful lesson that we need to clean up and apologize to our kids because we are far from perfect, especially in our parenting, no matter how amazing. I have a PhD in human development, child development, and the number of mistakes and I made with my daughter. So cleaning up was really good because you also teach them that it's okay to be wrong and that we will make mistakes and mistakes are part of being human. I think it's it's really important. It is really hard to apologize, I have to say. <laughs> it, it was. Is it easier once you've done it a few times? Um, I think so. But each new time presents a challenge, right? Like, wait, was I really wrong? You know, it's, it's yeah. definitely hard to admit that. But the, after a while, it, yeah, you're right. It does get easier. Do you think it would have been harder for you to raise a girl compared to a boy or easier? Um, I think it would have been easier. Um, Why? <laughs> well, to raise a girl to be a feminist, I think it would be easier. Yeah. Because, you know, it's, it feels like a natural thing. I, it would have been easier for me to talk about that. my life experiences and, for right. her to it and relate to her at different uh, stages. Um, and, and forces wouldn't be working against her in being a feminist. Uh, but with my son, the forces were against me the forces of raising him to be a feminist, the forces of raising a son to be a gentle, uh, tender-hearted young man, uh, the forces are definitely against us. You know, the forces are, and I'm not saying this as a universal blanket statement. Right, right. But, that, but that, in general, I agree. Yeah. Right. So I think it was definitely harder in that way. Raising a son in general in this world, there were definitely things that I was able to, uh, you know, I think I would have been much more careful. It's not like sexual assault doesn't happen with boys, right. but uh, there's a way to talk to boys and there's less of a culture of shame and secrecy that boys are sworn into, um, you know, with certain things that I think it was easier for me in, in general. So in closing, from looking back at your life and now that you've written your book, what words of advice would you give to men and women who want to follow in your footsteps or are struggling to do what you do, what you've done? I would just say, you know, um, 
really just lean into the loving aspect of it, right? That you don't have to think of it. I mean, I certainly don't want it to be another task for a woman to do, for a mother to do, right? Like after everything is done, now you must raise a feminist son, you know? Um, I want it to feel like a very natural ex extension of their family values. So to talk to, if, if they're in a couple, if it's um, a family, a traditional family, um, talk to each other about like, okay, we are going to raise our kids to be feminist and that's going to require us to be vigilant of so-and-so thing, right. of the grandparents, maybe of the aunts and uncles who are not on board, right? What kind of books we are going to bring? What, how are we going to talk around movies and video games? How do we, you know, especially if you have uh, children of different genders, you know, are you raising them to feel uh, like there's equity in the household? Are you doing gender neutral uh, parenting, etc.? So definitely talk about it as a value system, and you know, and don't think of it as a hard job or a checklist. Right. I have, I have to do this <laughs> in my book, but it's really just about saying that you you're going to have that value system and course correcting as you go along and not punishing yourself and having too many regrets you know just forgiving yourself when you make a mistake we're not going to be perfect at this thing so just to make it a loving exercise and to make it a value system rather than a um, a political ideology right no that's a beautiful answer and i'm sure it's uh, it's a relief to hear you say that because otherwise it just becomes one more should yes Right. And I think men have a very important role. Fathers have a very important role to play in this. And in talking to the younger men that I've been doing over the last couple of years, I find that many young men, young parents want to change, but they don't know how to change. And so what you've been saying is located in values and in conversation is really powerful because so much can be solved by just having a conversation and saying, I don't know how to do this. How do we do this? What about this movie? What about this book? Or how are we going to deal with this is beautiful. And if you could do it alone, certainly families that have couples, of whatever gender, have a partner to work with in making child rearing easier and more humane. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Sonora. And I know your book is doing really well. And I hope our listeners will pick up your book because it's also full of ideas in the back on what to do. And it has a lot of resources in the appendix. Thank you so much, Deepa. Thank you. This was a lovely conversation. Uh, thank, thank you. It's a joy. It's been fun talking to you, Sonora. Thank you so much. Most of you are already feminists and just don't know it. If you think men have a right to decide what to study and where to work, you are a feminist. If you believe men have the right to decide whether to marry or not, you are a feminist. If you think men have the right not to be bullied, you are a feminist. If you think men have the right to be gentle and kind and not dominating and aggressive, you are a feminist. If you don't want to be number one all the time, you are a feminist. If you believe women and people of all genders have the right to dignity and respect, you're a feminist. If you think girls and women have the right to education, you're a feminist. If you think women have the right to have opinions and be heard, you're a feminist. If you think women have the right to say no to men, wanting to have sex with them, you are a feminist. If you think women have the right to use contraceptives, 
you are a feminist. If you think women have the right to be free from sexual harassment, you are a feminist. Add your own descriptions. This is Deepa Narayan. Join me in slow conversation. Listen deeply. Share your stories with others and us. Do subscribe to our channel on Hubhopper, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, or wherever you are currently listening. Our website is whatsaman.com. You can reach Dr. Deepa Narayan at Deepa Vop on Twitter and Instagram. This podcast is generously supported by a grant from the American Center, New Delhi. The opinions, findings, and conclusions stated are those of What's a Man, Masculinity in India, and do not necessarily reflect those of the United States Department of State. Our partners are Hub Hopper, the Gender Lab, who work with adolescent boys and girls on gender awareness, Chup Circles, safe spaces for conversation, and Youth Ki Awaaz, the largest online platform for youth voices. Yeah. Oh yeah. What's a man? 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 Oh man, hey man, come on, man, yeah man, be a man. What's a man? What's a man? What's a man? What's a man? Strong man. Nelly man, Nelly man, big man, be a man. What's a man? What's a man? What's a man? What's a man? Oh.